Man, I'm so thankful that we have a living hope. And if there's one thing that I would want you to know today, I would want you to know that you are deeply loved. I love you and I thank God for you. But most importantly, you're loved by God who loves eternally. And he knows exactly where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your needs are. And he meets you at that point of need. And by his grace, uh, we can know him and walk with him and also make it through every circumstance of life and be blessed in the joyful times as well as uh, make it through the more difficult ones. I want to speak to you this morning from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21 in the first nine verses. And I'll read that here in just a moment. But I was thinking about the Holy Week and the triumphal entry that Jesus made into Jerusalem as he was preparing to make his way to the cross. When he made that triumphal entry, it was the beginning of what would be an agonizing time for our Savior. Jesus had made his way on the road from Jericho up to Jerusalem. It was a fairly long distance, and it also was representative of a rise in elevation, so they literally went up to Jerusalem as he was preparing to make his way to Calvary. And they came to Bethpage on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus would begin to fulfill uh, what his final steps were on the earth to accomplish the purpose that God the Father had sent him into this world for. He was preparing to enter Jerusalem for what would be the last time before the cross. And you need to understand that Jesus knew full well what was ahead of him. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be mocked and beaten. He knew that he was going to be crucified. And yet he was willing to go for us. And in that, he had the courage to enter into Jerusalem in a public way. But not just in a public way. He entered into Jerusalem in the most public way of all. And in doing so, he presented himself as the king. You see, Jesus is our king. And he presented himself when he entered into Jerusalem as the king over all of glory. And he would accomplish what God the Father had sent him on mission to do. So we'll begin reading here in Matthew chapter 21 in verse 1. And I'm going to go through verse 9. The Bible says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, verse 6 says. Then they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before them and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in 
the highest. Jesus told his disciples to go into the village that was opposite them, and there they would find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Jesus, in his uh, ability to know what was going to take place according to prophecy, knew that they might be asked questions, so he told his disciples, if anybody says anything to you, then tell them the Lord has need of them. And the disciples, being obedient at that point, did exactly what the Lord told them to do. And what they did was full of significance, because in this triumphal entry, we're going to see Jesus presented as the king. Several aspects of how he's presented as the king. And here's my hope for this message today. I hope that you'll not only see the historical record of what happened on that triumphal entry, but I hope you'll see the beauty of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the eternal nature of Jesus as he's presented to us in the Bible as the king over all. In the triumphal entry, Jesus presented himself as the long-promised king. Now, what we recognize here is that Israel should have anticipated and understood the coming of the Messiah, God's anointed king, because there had been prophecies foretelling this. Some 700 years, or almost 700 years before, Isaiah had given prophecies about the coming of the Lord. Zechariah prophesied some 500 years before the coming of Jesus. And listen to what his prophecy says in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years had passed since the words of Zechariah had been spoken. And when Jesus got on the beast of burden, just as had been prophesied, he was presenting himself to the people as the long-promised king. The fulfillment of the prophecy was an announcement that the king had arrived. You might also remember in the Old Testament that when Solomon was presented as the king over the people uh, from an earthly perspective, that he was also on a beast of burden, and he was on the beast of burden of his father David. This was symbolic of the line that he had come through. But we got to go back even further than that, because long before the time of Solomon, there was an older prophecy that pointed to the reason that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And we go all the way back to the book of Genesis for this. In Genesis 49 and verse 10, the Bible says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Verse 11, Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. You see the significance of that prophecy all the way back in Genesis 49, was that the king would come from the tribe of Judah. And that's exactly from where Jesus came. And what was only hinted about in Genesis was now made clear in the triumphal entry. When Jesus, the son of David from the tribe of Judah, rode into Jerusalem, he came as the long-promised king. Just as God's word 
had said that he would. And picture in your mind's eye, just for a moment, the multitudes gathered there along the road. Picture in your mind's eye these people who have, many of them, cut down palm branches. They're waving them, and they're spreading out their clothes on the road, and they're spreading out these palm branches, all in a symbol of recognition and support as a sign of victory and success. And I'll talk about it in just a moment. Yes, it's true that they did not yet fully understand the kingship of Jesus. But even so, this was the precursor of the full recognition of the long-promised king. And we need to understand here that God keeps his promises. And he can be trusted. You can own that promise first person. You can say, God, I know that you keep your promises and you can be trusted. That everything that you have said in your word is true. Everything that you have promised is certain. And I can depend on you. And that that builds our faith. And then secondly, in the triumphal entry, Jesus presented himself as the righteous king. He presented himself as the righteous king. Now, Zechariah said in his prophecy that I read in chapter 9 and verse 9 that he is just and having salvation. Now that's an important statement because the idea that the Messiah is just means that the Messiah is righteous. He is, he is righteous in every way. And because he is righteous, it's not only that his character is righteous, but everything that the Messiah did is righteous and good. So when we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus on the earth, he was good and he was righteous in every way. He carried out the will of God in the world. He perfectly obeyed the law of God. He was tempted at every point as we are, yet the Bible says that he was without sin. There was not one thing that Jesus fell short in. 1 Peter 2 and verse 22 says, Jesus committed no sin and there was no deceit in his mouth. His character is righteous. His words are righteous. His actions are righteous. In every way. And the psalmist promised that God would deliver the needy who cry out and he would save the needy from death. And that's the kind of salvation that Zechariah was pointing us to. And that's the kind of king that Jesus was presenting himself as in the righteous king. The Revised English Bible translates Zechariah's verse as as this. See... Your king is coming. His cause is won. His victory is gained. Now the crowd did not yet understand the crucifixion and the resurrection. They did not understand the full meaning of what was about to take place. But they welcomed him and they shouted Hosanna. Now obviously many of these people were seeking political deliverance. After all, palm branches were an ancient symbol of victory. In the time of the Maccabean revolt, the Jews made coins with the image of a palm on them, signifying their victory over the Greeks. And this proclamation of Hosanna is a type of prayer. 
It comes specifically from Psalm 118, where it's a cry of help. Psalm 118 in verse 25 says, Oh Lord, save us. So that's the basic meaning of it. When they're crying out to Jesus as he's coming in in the triumphal entry, they're saying to him, Hosanna, save us. And that's ultimately the cry that we all issue to the Messiah when we recognize our need for God. And by waving their palms and shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, the people were, in effect, crying out for salvation from the long-promised king. And only a righteous king could deliver salvation. Isaiah 62 and verse 11 says, Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. So think about it this way. The kind of salvation that the Messiah brought in his righteousness is deliverance from sin, deliverance from death, deliverance from eternal wrath, Deliverance from the judgment of God. And all of this was secured through his righteousness. It's not any righteousness of our own. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness is is worthless. It's not as though we can come to God and somehow offer up to God works that are sufficient so that we can save ourselves. There's not a scale of good works that somehow is going to outweigh the bad. All of our good works could never satisfy the righteousness of God. Only a righteous king could do that. I share with you the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. The great passage on justification by faith, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Now listen to this. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Don't miss that last phrase. God is just and he's the justifier. God is righteous and he declares us righteous in his son. So the presentation of Jesus as the righteous king was a message that the one who could truly deliver had come. It's a message to us today that God imputes the righteousness of Jesus to us through faith. It's all of God's grace. It's only received by faith. And when God sees us, he sees us not as the sinners that we were. He sees us through the holy, white righteousness of Jesus, through the purity of the lamb who was slain. That's where our righteousness comes from. 
And that's who Jesus was presented as when he presented himself as the righteous king. And then third, in the triumphal entry, Jesus presented himself as the humble king. As the humble king. Now when a king rode into a city in ancient times, he did not ride in typically in humility. He would ride into a city with a an ostentatious display of power and wealth of all of the people who were serving him and doing his bidding. And it would be a time where that ancient king would be exalted and he would have his ego built up and he would have his subjects gathering around so they could understand their proper place in the world. And you might have expected Jesus to enter into Jerusalem with an army after all that he had gone through and after all that he had experienced and in light of what he was about to experience. But that's not how he came at all. Jesus arrived in humility. Zechariah said that he would arrive in a lowly manner. His humility was symbolized by his mode of transport. He came on a beast of burden. He didn't arrive on a war horse that time, but he arrived on a donkey. And not only that, but a borrowed donkey. One commentator said this, how strange a contrast to the triumphal entry of ancient warriors and conquerors into the cities which they had taken. This time, no wall broken down for entry. This time, no garlanded hero standing in his war chariot, driving down the lane of cheering subjects and followed by captive kings and princes in chains. Instead of that, just a meek and lowly man riding upon the foal of a donkey. I think it's interesting that Zechariah's prophecy spoke of the Messiah treating the people as his own family as God's beloved children. Friends, that's what we are. We are God's own family. We are God's beloved children. All because of a humble king. And understand that the humility of Jesus was was no sign of weakness. Oh, not at all. The verses leading up to the prophecy in Zechariah 9 and verse 9 describe how Uh, God would destroy Israel's enemies like the uh, Syrians and the Philistines. But Jesus came as the humble king, not to be just the king of the Jews, but to rescue people from every tribe and language and nation. So when the Bible says that that the king, Jesus, proclaims peace to the nations, uh, the Hebrew refers to it as, as shalom, not just the absence of warfare. But it's the presence of peace. That's what this humble king delivered on. And the humility of Jesus is presented in his meekness, which is power under control. John Newton, who was formerly a slave trader and who was miraculously saved and transformed by the grace of God, preached on Zechariah 9 and verse 9 back in the 17th century, and he explained how wonderful it is to serve Jesus Christ, the the humble king. And listen to what he said. Happy are these his subjects who dwell under his shadow. 
He rules them not with that rod of iron by which he bruises and breaks the power of his enemies, but with his golden scepter of love. He reigns by his own right and by their full and free consent in their hearts. He reigns upon a throne of grace to which they have at all times access from whence they receive an answer to their prayers, mercy and peace, the pardon of all their sins, grace to help in every time of need, and a renewed supply answerable to all of their wants and cares and services and conflicts. You see, because we serve a humble king, that should be the spirit of, of, of God's children, of his people. A spirit of humility and service as a disciple of Jesus. A spirit of meekness and, and gentleness. That's the kind of spirit that we should have. And I want to remind you that particularly when the difficulties press in, who we really are and what we really believe comes out. And people are watching to see how the children of God respond. They're watching to see our faith. They're watching to see our peace. And while it might not always be easy, when we lean into God and we pray and we stay in His Word and we trust in His Spirit, then He'll give us the grace that we need. And He'll help us to to interact with others in a spirit of humility just as Jesus presented himself to us in that triumphal entry as the king. Now, it must have been something as Jesus approached Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passover feast with hundreds and thousands of people crowding into Jerusalem. It must have been something when our Lord came to the top of the Mount of Olives and looked over at the city of Jerusalem And saw those crowds who were coming out to greet him. It must have been something when he began to to ride down the slope there into the Kidron Valley with people in front and people behind and people gathered all around in a procession of praise. And he heard these words. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see, the shouts of the crowd were appropriate. They were in fulfillment of prophecy. But many of them wanted a conquering Messiah who would establish himself to overcome Rome under whose dominion they were suffering. But our king came not to establish an earthly kingdom. Our king said that his kingdom is not of this world. Our king came to establish an eternal kingdom. And the week that was ahead of Jesus would be marked by denial and betrayal and the duplicity of Judas and the unfaithfulness of Peter. He would experience the weakness of his disciples who would flee the city. He would experience the ambivalence of the governor Pilate, the agony of dying between two thieves, one of whom would curse him and one of whom would believe. And it would conclude with the words of Jesus, it is finished. And then our Lord would be placed in a borrowed tomb. And then on the third day, he would be gloriously raised from the dead. But I've got another word of hope for you as I conclude. There's another prophecy in Zechariah 14 and verse 4, 
which speaks of Yahweh standing on the Mount of Olives. This time it's not in a triumphal entry. This time it's in an eschatological fulfillment. It's on the Mount of Olives that Jesus will return. And when Jesus comes again, Jesus will come victoriously. Jesus will not come the next time on a beast of burden. Jesus will come on a war horse. Jesus has already won the victory, but what we'll see in this fulfillment in the future and his return as uh, the Messiah is that his victory will be on full display for all of the world to see. And isn't it ironic that in uh, past times we might have wondered how could it be possible that, that all of the world could see this? And even now, all of the world can see anything in the world in an instant. So whether it be supernatural in those days or by some other means coupled with the supernatural work of God, I don't know. But here's what I know the Bible says in Revelation 19 and beginning in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, there is no power, there is no king, there is no Lord who can oppose Jesus and win. Because he's already won the victory for us at the cross, in his burial, and in his resurrection. There is no higher authority. There is no other eternal kingdom. There's only one king. And that one king is the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Do you know him today? If you do, humbly submit yourself to him and worship. And if you don't know him, today would be a good time to repent and believe. Father, we thank you today for the hope that we have in your word. Promises fulfilled, a king on full display the reminder of the power of the cross and the resurrection, the certainty of hope for the future. And we exalt the only king, the king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, our Savior. And I pray that our lives would reflect who he is and what he's done on our behalf. Help us to give a good witness to the world that needs hope to the world that needs deliverance. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.